Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on Sunday morning, October 2nd, 2022, from the book of Ephesians. What I'm trying to do is like take the letters of Paul, like different ones, and say like in one shot, this is what it's about. This is what 1 Corinthians is about. This is what Philippians is about. This is what Romans is about. And so um, this morning, I just want to talk to you for a little bit about this is what the letter to the Ephesians is about. And I honestly and truly, it might be a little tough, but I honestly and truly believe that this is what he's saying. So anyway, um, so... I was gonna like read this thing, but like, hey, Char, could you turn that light back on? <laughs> like, I can't see it there. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Oh, anyway, <laughs> so, okay, so this is Ephesians chapter three. Okay, so the, the letter to the Ephesians is just like, um, it's just, it's incredible. Okay, so in chapter three, he, Paul said, okay, um, so, okay, so surely you all have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me from, by revelation. As I've already written briefly, in reading this, you can understand the insight I have into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed to, by the Spirit of God to his holy prophets and apostles. And this mystery is that, the, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles, okay, so I don't know what Gentiles means, but the Greek word is the word ethne. It means ethnicities, different ethnicities, all different kinds of people. So the, through the gospel, the ethnicity, different ethnicities are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And then he goes down to say his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, help us to understand this. Help us to understand with an open heart what you're doing and what you're calling us to and that we would have a heart for it. I know we do. But I think about how sometimes Paul always says, I know you've been taught of God to love one another, but that you would do it more and more. Give us a heart for more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. So, okay, so I was thinking about this. Like if you, so there's a place in, in chapter six where like if, if um, so if you were looking at a person and you knew that they were like some kind of athlete and you were looking at their uniform and you were trying to guess, and let's say you don't really know a lot about sports, but you were trying to guess like what kind of sport they're in. So let's say there's a guy standing in front of you and this is what he's wearing, his uniform. He has a heavy wool sweater on, the sleeves have stripes, it's a turtleneck. And he has a brass nose protector that looks like his nose and it has straps that go around the back of his head. He has elbow pads. And he's wearing a canvas vest that has leather loops on it. Okay, so what sport is this? 
Okay, so in 1900, he was a football player. So because football players, like the only real thing they wore was a, a brass, like a brass nose protector, like it looked like their nose, and they tied it around the back of their head, and they wore a canvas vest with these le those leather leather loops are really were really handles because what they used to do was they would the guy would grab the ball, they would take the guy, and they would throw the guy, and so and then. But too many people wound up in the hospital. So Theodore Roosevelt said, okay, so we need to change this because we really, if we're not gonna fight a war, we need football, you know, to make guys like rough and tough and all that stuff. And so, and, but if we keep doing this, they're gonna make us quit this. And so we need to come up with a thing where we throw the ball and not the guy. And so that's where, that's really where the forward pass came from. But you know, so they changed all that stuff. So, but if you saw a person like, let's say you saw a pole vaulter, like, a, so pole vaulters, like now they wear like a one piece thing. It's really, really tight and they're a pole vaulter. So you think, I could see that, he's a pole vaulter. Um, shot putters also wear the same outfit. So like if you saw a guy wearing that same outfit and he's like 315, you'd think, I don't think he's a pole vaulter. I mean, I might be wrong. I might be wrong about that, but that, like, if you didn't know anything about baseball and you saw a catcher in his outfit and you think, I don't know what he does. I, is, I, it might be paintball, you know, but, um, I do think if you saw a rugby player, you know, wearing a rugby shirt and shorts and those socks they wear, you would think, okay, he's a rugby player. I can get that. The one thing he knows, needs is he needs one of those brass nose protectors that you strap around the back of your head and a, and a canvas vest with leather handles, you know, so in case anybody needs to throw them. So, but, okay, so in Ephesians chapter six, okay, so Paul's talking about this person and it's like, it's like you and me. And there's an outfit that we need to put on every day. And you guess what we're doing. So he said, what you need to wear every day is like a, on your a chest, um, a chest protector. But it's not made of metal. It's made of righteousness. And you think, what does that mean? Like a, a, right, a chest protector of righteousness. Well, righteousness basically to us, it means how to know you're acceptable or accepted by God. And it's all because of Jesus and because of what Jesus has done for us and that he paid for us and he rose from the dead. And that's why we know that we're accepted by God and we're not any better or any worse than anyone. We're just accepted in Jesus. And so my acceptance in him is my righteousness and I need to wear that over my, over my chest. And he said, you also need to wear like military shoes that are actually, they're the readiness of the gospel of peace. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, so readiness, um, well, basically you wear the shoes you wear because of what you know you're gonna do that day and you wanna be ready for it. So if you're gonna play golf, you wear those shoes with the little nails in the bottom. And if you're gonna go scuba diving, you wear those shoes with the big flaps on the front. And if you're, but the, the readiness of the gospel of peace may, basically means when I go out into this day, I'm gonna be a peacemaker. Like I'm gonna get along with everybody and I'm just gonna be a guy that spreads peace all over the place. That's what I'm getting ready for. And he said, and also you need to wear a helmet, but a, the helmet, it's not like a metal helmet or a football helmet. It's the helmet of salvation, which that's kind of a word that means restoration or kind of, it can mean restoration, reconstruction or whatever. But um, so what does that mean? Well. It's hard to really know from that, but in another place, Paul said, what I mean by that is the helmet of the hope of salvation. Like, in other words, um, I need to be prepared to believe 
that God is doing something and that good things are happening and good things will be happening to me because I'm walking with him and I need to be prepared to think that way. And also I need the shield of faith so that I can stop the fiery darts of the evil one. And it's like, what? Like, so, okay, it sounds like you're saying in what I'm wearing that I'm not gonna be playing football or playing rugby. It sounds like I'm going into a battle. Exactly. You're going into a battle and you have an enemy. It's like, it's not an enemy you can see. In fact, there's just kind of a lot of them. Like there's invisible enemies and you, and, and, they don't want you to know that they're there, but they're going to try to make you, the reason you need to have like your acceptance in Jesus on your chest is because they're gonna to try to make you either feel arrogant or ashamed of yourself in some way. The reason that you need to have those shoes of peace, like you're gonna be a person of peace is they're gonna to try to make you angry. The reason that you need to have that helmet of hope is because they're going to try to make you anxious, that you have an invisible enemy that's going to try to make you arrogant or ashamed or angry or anxious about stuff. That's what they're trying. That's what these enemies are trying to do. And you are in a battle. I didn't know I was in a battle. Well, now you do. You should have known that like for a long time. Everybody needs to know that. So uh, that they're in a battle, everybody that believes in Jesus. In fact, the letter to the Ephesians, it's not like, so other letters that Paul wrote, like the letters to the Thessalonians and the letters to the Corinthians, they're all letters that Paul addressed, like specific maybe questions or problems that they were having. In most of his letters, they're like, okay, hey, say hey to this person, say hey to that person. I know the people that live in Philippi, say hello to them and my buddy say hello to you and all that. In the letter to the Ephesians, there's none of that. Like there, he doesn't really address any specific problem that any specific group has. And he doesn't say hello to anyone. And in the earliest copies of the letter to the Ephesians, in the early, earliest copies that exist, when it says Paul to the saints in, there's a blank there. And um, many scholars think that's because this was a letter that he wanted to get to everybody. And so like there's a, there was a certain circle of churches that were in um, kind of Turkey where, you know, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, around that. And then, so this was a letter probably started in Ephesus, but it was gonna do the circuit because everybody needs to know this stuff that you're in a battle, that we're in a battle, that we have an enemy, that our enemy wants us to feel ashamed or arrogant or angry or anxious because he's trying to keep us from doing what we're doing. So one thing that the letter to the Ephesians says is that when you accepted Jesus, you were included in something that is like gigantic. Like you maybe thought that somebody was telling you that Jesus was knocking on the door of your heart and he wanted to come in and you opened the door and you let him in and he came in and he took you outside of your own heart and you have gotten swept away in the movement of the advancement of the multi-ethnic, international, global, transgenerational kingdom of God. Like you, you just thought it was a little thing. 
you just thought it was a little moment, but it turned out to be an immense moment. And you're involved in, a, in an immense thing and little quiet, unseen moments like that are happening every day that turn into these, this massive thing. There was a guy, he was, kind of, he, was a, he was kind of having a really terrible time and just dejected and depressed. And he wrote in his journal that on the 24th of May, about you know, 1015, this was in 1748, I went unwillingly to this prayer meeting in Altersgate Street in London. And somebody was reading from Martin Luther's commentary, the preface of Martin Luther's commentary to the book of Romans. And I felt my heart strangely warmed. And I felt that I trusted in Christ, in Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that God had delivered me from the law of sin and death. His name was John Wesley. And he was so taken by this message that he began to share it everywhere, like with people everywhere. And if they wouldn't listen to it in churches, he would share it in coal mines and in marketplaces and, and in fields. And in his lifetime, by the time he died when he was 88, he had traveled on horseback in England 250,000 miles and shared four 40,000 messages of that and left behind 120,000 people who had come to know Jesus. It started as a small thing. It became this immense thing. There was a guy, there was a guy in a ship. This was the 10th of March, 1748. And he, um, he was the most wicked person I've ever read about. Like he was so, he was terrible. He was a young man, a young British guy. He was involved in the African slave trade. He was horrible. He was horrible. He was a monster, really. But he got it. But out off the coast of Ireland, there was a storm. And he thought they were going to sink. And he cried out to Jesus. His mother had known Jesus. He died, she died when he was about seven. And he cried out to the Jesus of his mother and said, have, mer have mercy on me. How could Jesus have mercy on a person like me? But it started him out on a quest that lasted about five years till he really, really found Jesus. And he became a, a pastor. He became, a pa he became sweet. He became kind. He became like a pastor of um, a little country church in a village. He had a friend who was a poet who was depressed. And together they used to do, he'd let him help him with his ministry and they would write songs together. Um, Glorious things of thee are spoken. They wrote that hymn together. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. They wrote that hymn together. Um, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. They wrote that hymn together. That's all it was. They never thought anybody would ever sing them. That hymn somehow made it to the United States and became the favorite hymn of African slaves in the American South. And he became a champion of the abolition of the slave trade and of slavery himself. His name was John Newton. There was a young man in 1759 who was aristocratic and super, from a super wealthy, privileged family. And uh, his dad died when he was nine years old. And his mother didn't really know. She was a mess after that, and she didn't know what to do with him. And so she sent him away to, she wanted him to be a proper aristocrat with everything in its place, your napkin in the right place, your religion in the right place, just over there so it doesn't get too, you know, 
And she did, so she sent him away just so she could get her act together to his aunt and uncle, John and Hannah. She didn't know that they had come to know Jesus under the preaching of John Wesley. And they loved Jesus. And they had a dear friend who would come and spend time with them. And his name was John Newton. And it planted a seed in his heart of love for Jesus that became a massive thing. And he became a passionate follower of Jesus. And it began a 20-year battle when he became a member of parliament for the abolition of the slave trade and the opposition. And he fought and he fought and he fought until after 20 years, he finally achieved it. And it starts as in his corner. It starts in a small moment. And before you know it, you're involved in this massive thing. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's just a gift of God. It's not of works that nobody, you just accept Jesus. But in chapter 1, he said the reason you did is because you were chosen before the foundation of the earth that God wanted you and picked you. And he goes on to say, and when you accept Jesus, he's going to make you into a person that nobody could ever be. And he's going to give you jobs to do that nobody could ever do but you. He's making a huge, massive thing out of you. And it's just like, who knew this? Who knows this? And Paul's like, I know it. I, I'm the one that God told, God told me this that this is what he's doing with you. There's a word that he uses a lot in the book of Ephesians. It's a word that, it's the word uh, mystery. And so a mystery, it's not solving like a suspicious crime or anything. The, the word mystery means something that you never could know unless God told somebody to tell you. And so the, it's the, in the book of Romans, his letter to the Romans has 16 chapters. In the word mystery is used two times. In 1 Corinthians, it has 16 chapters. The word mystery is used two times. The letter to the Ephesians is almost a th little more than a third as long as those. And he uses that word seven times. And it, it's just that God, God, that God is doing um, an amazing thing. And you're involved in a massive thing. And he said, and, and what you're involved in is that God has, God has given us a massive job. He said, what we are, all the people in the world, the multi-ethnic, international, global, transgenerational people of Jesus, our job, we are Oh, so he says in chapter one, we're the body of Christ in the world. All of us, those of us who are black, those of us who are brown, those of us who are white, those of us who are, na who are native, those of us who are Asian, all of us together, we're the body of Christ in the world. And in chapter three, he said, we're the temple of God, all of us together. And it's basically saying the same thing. So like the temple was a, the temple was a building 
in Jerusalem that the basic purpose of it was so that people from everywhere, from all over the world, all different kinds of people from all different kinds of ethnicities and all different kinds of nations could come there and learn what God is like, that God is a God who's seeking them, that God is a God of love, that God is a God of love. And when Jesus... Almighty God the Son became a human being and took a body. Like one of the things that he was doing and living among us was showing what God is like. That God is a God of love. That God is love. And now that's what we do. That like, that's what our job is. Like all of the people of God, of Jesus in the world, together we're like when Jesus lived on earth. We're like when the temple was in Jerusalem. We're the people that are communicating to the world like the most important message ever, that God is a God of love and that God loves everyone and that the message is for everyone because God loves everyone. That's what we're doing. And that's what we're here for is, is to show people and to communicate to them and to tell them that God loves them because the God who made this world is a God of love. And there, so there is an enemy and is like minions. We don't have to worry about them because they've been defeated by Jesus and because Jesus rose from the dead. And so like in, in, like, in like ancient biblical mindset, like the idea was that the spirit beings like good and bad, like inhabited the various stratas of the atmosphere. Like they're up there on that level or that level or that level. But Paul said, it doesn't matter. We're seated with Jesus above all that. So we don't have to worry about that. But they, but one thing that they don't want to do is like they don't want people. And so they're going to try to work on us like and try to make us feel arrogant or try to make us feel ashamed or try to make us feel angry or try to make us feel anxious and try to mess us up because they don't want people to know that God loves them. Like they don't want people to know the love of God. And sometimes when you think about like I think about like why, why does the devil care about that? Like why does he even care and I don't know, one time somebody said something to me that I'll never forget. Somebody had done something that was, I don't know, it was particularly mean. And it was unexpected and I just didn't understand it. And I was asking somebody, why do you think this person did this? And they said to me something I'll never forget. There are some things that you don't want to understand of why people think the way they do. But... Um, but I do know it's true that we're in a battle and, we, and, the, and, the, and the invisible enemies don't want people to know the love of God. Sometimes when you think about different, um, different hatreds in the world and you think, this is not normal. It's not normal for people to hate this way. There has to be a different, like, a different explanation for it. Like when you think about the way people have hated Jewish people, the people that God chose to give the savior of the world to us, and they've been hated in a way that it's not normal. Like where does this come from? There was a, there was a, um, there's a plaque on Market Square that I just stopped and read one day about a guy who was a sergeant in the Battle of the Bulge. And he was captured and all of his company was captured and they were taken to like a German concentration camp and not a, con I mean a prisoner of war camp in Germany. And uh, his name was Robbie Edmondson. He's uh, from Knoxville. And he was the senior officer of that group of 1,200 guys. And the, co and the commander of that 
prisoner concentration camps that told him, I want you to identify all the Jewish soldiers that are under you. And he put a gun to his head and he said, I want you to do it. And he said to him, we're all Jewish here. We are all Jewish. And they backed down. But why is it that way? How do you explain it? How do you explain different hatreds? How do you explain the trail of tears? How do you explain African slavery? How do you explain things that are so hateful? There's a, uh, so two days before he died, John Wesley wrote a letter to William Wilberforce. And it said, Dear Sir, February 24, 1791, unless the divine power has raised you up to be Athanasius against the world, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise of opposing this villainy, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Be not weary in well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might till even American slavery, the vilest that has ever seen the sun, shall vanish away before you. That he who has guided you from the youth up will continue to strengthen you in this and in all things is the prayer of your dear affectionate servant, John Wesley. So um, that's the battle we have. And um, in a world of hate, um, where there's so much hate, the battle that we have and the job that we have is to be the people, the multi-ethnic, global people of Jesus, who our job is to show the world that God is a God of love, that God loves them. The, that multi-ethnic part is a fundamental part of this. Like in chapter two, Paul said, the, what the gospel has done is that the gospel has broken down, the cross has broken down, the wall of hostility between all different ethnicities so that I can know I don't have to feel ashamed of myself. I have no right to feel arrogant of myself. I'm just accepted. That we're all accepted by the blood of Jesus and that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. In chapter three, he says, this is the message I share that because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a place in chapter two of the book of Galatians where Peter, like he hung around with the different people that believed in Jesus who were like different ethnicities and were getting to know each other and because we're all a family now and everything. And then his people showed up. And so he stopped hanging around with them because he didn't want to be seen with them. And Paul said, I opposed him to his Thanks, because he was not being true to the gospel, because that's that's what it is. It's it, and it's not it's not um, it's not color blindness. It's not a, it's not that we're a melting pot. The different ethnicities of the people of God are 
an expression of the creative genius of God. And it's the beauty of it that we're all people who are different, but that we're a family together. So, so are y'all with me? Okay, okay. It's just super, super, super important. And so everything that we do, so like I feel like everything that Paul says to do, it's more important than we think it is because of the job we have and because of the enemy we have. That we have a job to communicate to the world love, that we love each other no matter how different we are, and that God is a God of love, and that he loves everybody and he reaches everybody who believes in Jesus. So, like, so in chapter four, so it's more important than we think it is that we listen to each other. Like he said, so because of this calling that we have to be this people, this diverse people who love each other and communicate to each other, we need to make every effort to guard in humility and meekness, to guard, to maintain the unity of the spirit, that we're one people, that we're one people to get together. No matter how different we are, we need to make every effort to maintain that. And I think that what that means is, I think that we need to listen to each other. Like that people need to listen to people who are different and learn what it's like and learn what it's been like to be them and, you know, learn what it's like to be Latino and to love Jesus and that that's my brother in Christ. I was, and getting to know them and you just know them and you love them. I was talking to a Mexican guy one time and he was telling me how he came to, uh, his parents asked him to come to America and to help their family survive, when he was 17, he came three days through the desert for his family. And he got to Texas and he went to work. He got in high school. He went to college. When he was in college, he came to know Jesus as his savior. And he got involved with a group called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And there was a group of them that were going to go to Mexico for two weeks. And he said, and Jesus called, he said, Jesus is telling me to go. And they said, Alberto, if you go, you might not be able to get back across. Like, you, you have no documents. What if you go and you can't get across? Jesus is telling me to go. I have to go. And I'm going to trust him. And he went to, with all of them to Mexico. When they came back across, he got stopped at the, and they, he was just with this group, and they were all going to go through, but they, they pointed him out. And they said, what about you? Do you have documents? He said, I have no documents. And the guy said, why did you go? Why did you go knowing that you could get stopped here? He said, because Jesus told me to go. And I love and obey him, and I was going to trust him to get me back across the border. And the custom guy said, we need more people like you. Go on in. Go on. Come on back over. So he brought, and he brought him back over. You know, I've been listening a lot lately to the voices of Native Americans, Native American evangelicals, and talking about what it's like to be a Native American. And would they say things, and they're like, I wish people would listen to us. I wish people would listen when, when they say, when they talk about the people who discovered America, that we had 20 million people here. You don't discover a land that's already inhabited. He said, well, you know, when I give lectures, I just ask people, why don't you put your cell phone and your car keys and your laptop on the table and I'll come along and discover them. You know, but, yeah, but I just, I think it's important that we listen to each other and the hurts and pains, and don't assume that I understand them. I think it's more important because of the job and the enemy we have. It's more important than we can imagine. The way we talk is more important than we can imagine. There's a place in chapter four where Paul said, you know what? 
he said, you shouldn't, because my acceptance is in Jesus. He said, you should, let, don't let any critical words come out of your mouth. But only words that encourage other people. And, um, and that build them up. He goes on to say, get rid of all slander and name calling, calling people names. If people want to run for office and act that way, great. But you can't run with Jesus and be that way. Don't slander anyone. Don't criticize anyone. Just don't criticize anyone. Because it's more important than you think. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. It makes God sad. Because our job is to let people know that we love them. He said, you know that anger that kind of goes on and on and on and on and on? Get rid of it. The anger that lasts, you know that thing where people are angry about the same thing every day, all day, and people are angry? He said, get rid of it. Because it's more important than you think, because you give, you give the devil a foothold. Let's get rid of it. Our job is to communicate to people that God loves them. He goes on to say in chapter five, you know what? He says, all of your relationships and everything comes out of this. He said, it's keeping yourself spiritually full. And the, your heart full, your own heart by yourself, full of the love of Jesus. And the way you do that is singing. Listening is more important than you think it is. Talk, the way you talk is more important. And singing to Jesus is more important than you think it is because it fills your heart with the love of God. And it makes it so that you can love other people. And it makes so you can communicate the love of God to everyone. And then you say, well, um, if I'm just praising Jesus in my own heart and doing that by myself, I'm not really communicating to anyone that God loves them. And Paul said, you're not communicating it to anyone you see, but there are other worlds beyond this one, and they are watching you too. There are authorities and powers in spiritual forces, and we are teaching them that God is a God of love. I don't know if you noticed this. I was going to talk for 23 minutes today, and I didn't do it, but I don't know if you, I don't know if you noticed this, but about oh, two weeks ago, it was the 25th anniversary of the death of, of Princess Diana. And there was a lot, a lot about it. It was a week before the, prince, the death of Queen Elizabeth. And people talked a lot about it. And nobody mentioned, and it was this way when it happened. There were 47 pages in Time Magazine talking about her. And only four pages that talked about this. That there was another woman who died that very same week. And her name was Mother Teresa. And nobody really cared that she died. But she was a woman who loved Jesus. And she showed the love of Jesus to the least and the most, the sickest. 
and the most suffering and the poorest of the poorest streets of this world. And she did it because she loved Jesus Christ. And there was a person one time who was interviewing her and she had been taking care of a person who was leprous and dying on the street and she had taken them into her convent and she washed his disgusting wounds and she cared for him until he died. And the guy said, I would not do this for $5 million. And she said, neither would I. And angels watched and said, what is this? It's love. God is a God of love. <sighs> Lord Jesus, help us to feel our calling. Help us to feel it deep, deep inside of ourselves, that our job in the world is to love, to love each other no matter who, to know each other, our brothers and sisters, our family, our multi-ethnic, international, global family, to love and to listen to each other, to love and to listen to you, so that we could fulfill the job we have of showing to the world this and nothing but this, that God is a God of love. In Jesus' name. The rock we live on's been around a while. One full circle every day The only rock spinning for a billion miles Has a people can't seem to find their way Breaking up we have seen